0: Warning, second breakfast, just like a mouthful of hearty Lake Town cram, can be a hard thing to swallow and contains sprinkles of adult content. If this sort of talk makes you uncomfortable, try another podcast. There's a lot out there and many are fun. Maybe not as fun as second breakfast, but you know, you know.
1: Second morning. The following episode of Second Breakfast contains moderate alcohol consumption. We will be doing our best to drink small and local in an effort to support small business.
0: Final warning. Second Breakfast coverage of The Hobbit contains spoilers. If you are unaware of what particular Dwarvish family heirloom Mr. Baggins burgles, say that 10 times fast, then please proceed with extreme caution.
1: And now, Second Breakfast.
0: Arrow, said the bowman. Black Arrow, I have saved you to the last. You have never failed me and always I have recovered you i had you from my father and he from of old if ever you came from the forges of the true king under the mountain go now and speed well
1: Everyone, welcome to the second breakfast podcast, the storytelling podcast covering our favorite speculative narratives from novels to the silver screen from Cleveland, Ohio. I'm your host, your informative Raven, Ryan, and joining me from Covington, Kentucky. He's frankly just tired of getting fingered by goblins at this point. It's Sam. Uh, Ryan, the dragon is coming or I am a fool. Don't answer that. Hello,
0: everyone, and welcome back to Second Breakfast Podcast. Be sure to give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter, as well as to subscribe, rate, and review five stars minimum. We have a great show planned. If this episode had a Tolkien-esque name, it would be called Shit Hits the Fan. But, Ryan, this whole intro stinks of dragon, and it's making me sick. (laughs) <laughs> why don't you freshen up our worthy listeners
1: with some exciting news sam unfortunately i mean again not a lot of news going on i was I, you know tolkien it's it's really typically week to week quiet on the tolkien front on the personal front i've just been working like around the clock so mm-hmm. boring what about yourself sam uh man a lot going on uh my dad turned
0: 60 uh this past wednesday so congratulations happy, snake happy 60, yeah happy 60th um what else is going on
1: oh my brother he lives in texas so he had a rough week oh wait let's but, talk uh, about texas real quick because it actually cool, does cool, ping cool. on some of my life tell me about how's your brother doing is he he's good. he's, he's okay. good
0: well um his like room temperature tuesday was like 25 degrees um oh my God. but Wednesday, they got it back on, and uh, he's he's doing good.
1: So, was he just, like, bundled up sitting in a cold apartment? Uh-huh. I would honestly have gone and grabbed a trash can from the streets and start burning stuff. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, my brother's in Texas, but you have interest in Texas, of course, because that is where you're hosting your bachelor party.
1: Yeah, and yesterday... I wake up to a notice that's like your Airbnb is canceled and refund is in process. I'm like, what the fuck? And I, I just assumed it was because, you know, pipes are breaking in every building. And I was like, all right, well, I'm not surprised. So pivot, trying to pivot. Uh, some people already got their flights. Some people weren't as wise to say, fuck it. We're driving like you, Sam. So you're like, almost like plan proof. <laughs> no mm-hmm, matter what, man. as long as, as long as the old Buick can make it, yeah we're Uh,
0: taking uh the nissan actually but yeah as long as there's a car or a greyhound with sight, you know i'm there
1: (laughs) but uh we're scrambling and long story short it was not a weather related issue uh Mm -hmm. and got sorted out but i'm honestly you know i think i'm more committed to going to austin than ever because you know i think things will be kind of back up and running by the time we make it there and you know we're not only going there to have fun and have a good time. We're going there because we're there to help bolster their economy and bring them back, you know, help the recovery and speed up the recovery. That's why we're there. So it's uh, what we do
0: here on second breakfast podcast. (laughs) The plant is a dangerous tool, Ryan, but why, why should we fear to use it? Let us gaze into the seeing stone to reveal what happens in the Hobbit chapters 13
1: through 15. Chapter 13, Not at Home. While Smog is away, the dwarves will play, baby. Mm. Bilbo and the company make their way into the Lonely Mountain. Bilbo bravely scouts ahead and, while doing so, discovers the Arkenstone of lore and the relic coveted most by Thorin. Instead of turning it over, Bilbo pockets it. After exploring the Dragon Horde for a bit, the company make their way to the front gate, and out to the outpost of Ravenhill. Chapter 14. Fire
0: and water. Smaug attacks Lake Town. Bard, the captain of the town's archers, and one of the last men standing, readies his last arrow. That's just the moment when a thrush lands on his shoulder and informs him of the chink in the dragon's armor. Bar's arrow flies true and hits its mark, felling the great worm. Newt. Unfortunately, Lake Town is left in ruin in the aftermath of Smaug's, dare I say, desolation. Boom. (laughs) Who writes
2: this shit?
0: (laughs) The men of Lake Town turn their eyes to the new unguarded treasures of the Lonely Mountain as a way of rebuilding their lives after the battle and a way of getting paid The news of Smaug's death spreads into Mirkwood and beyond, bringing the elven king and his army to the Lonely
1: Mountain to join the forces of men. Chapter 15, The Gathering Storm. Bilbo and the dwarves learn of Smaug's death and the approaching army of elves and men from Roak, the raven. In Mm -hmm. the most epic game of King of the Mountain, nice, Nice. the (laughs) the dwarves... (laughs) Let's do that again. <laughs> <laughs> In the most epic game of King of the Mountain. Nice. <laughs> the dwarves seek the aid of Dane of the Iron Hills. Awaiting reinforcements, Thorin rejects Bard's offer of a parley. After the standstill continues, Bard and the elven king declare the lonely mountain besieged.
0: Bum, bum, bum. Brian, now that we know the events of The Hobbit chapters 13 through 15, let us cast our eyes once more into the Mirror of Galadriel. It is time for more in-depth analysis. For the Mirror shows many things. Things that were... Things that are, and some things have not yet come to pass. Keeping in mind our big theme for today, which
1: is greed. Chapter 13, Not at Home The company huddles in silence, locked in the mountain. Uh, The entrance of the tunnel, you know, having been smashed in by Smaug, uh they wait for two days in silence which by the way like just like not move like they they clearly didn't like you know make their way into the down into the depths of the the lonely mountain yet so they literally just sat there huddled up for two days i mean the timing of the hobbit is oddly like elongated you Mm -hmm. know like uh Bombers asleep for a week, or they're you know traveling for a month, like in a par- covers a paragraph in like the first second chapter. And now that like, they spend two days, which means Smaug is out of that uh, mountain for two days. Absolutely like a crazy shit. Um, okay, lesson learned: don't fuck with a live dragon, right? Don't, yeah, don't. Let's just sit here for the rest of our lives, if need be, and just not move. It's our best bet at this point, uh, but the but the reek of smaug overcomes them. I mean, the opposite of the smell of elves. <laughs> we are we are trapped. They groaned. This is the end. We shall die here. Bilbo, however, feels his heart lighten. Come, come, he said. While there's life, there's hope. As my. <laughs> Wait, as my father used to say, it always goes back to uh, fuck. What's the name of his, his dad again? Bungo. Bungo. It always goes back to Bungo, uh, Crocs on his feet, Baggins, mm. uh, having something to say, especially about dragons. It appears, um, as my father used to say, and how's second. Okay. As my father used to say, and quote, third time pays for all. (laughs) I am going down the tunnel once again. I have been that way twice when I knew there was a dragon at the other end. So I will risk a third visit when I am no longer sure. Anyway, the only way out is down. And I think this time you had better all come with me. I mean, how far has Bilbo come from from the beginning to this moment that he's like yo dude I've done it twice and I'm still alive so fuck yeah. it let's go there's nothing better to do like this is there's only way forward third time pays for all that's another that's uh, my father name. used to say yeah which by the way what do you think Bungo was even referring to when he used that phrase um like burrito stamps like
0: Some burrito places give you like his his uh, hot head head card. card. He's got third time pays for all he gets like four burritos each time. So the third (laughs) third time he gets Uh,
1: well on Taco (laughs) Tuesday, he goes there for 11 C's, breakfast or uh, lunch, you know, for supper. I mean, there's multiple Mm. meals that he he cashes in on, right? Uh, Bilbo convinces the dwarves to come with him. Down the tunnel. Uh, essentially, he's like, I'm leaving this godforsaken place. Who's coming with me? Yellow, 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 yellow. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you know, Bilbo tells the others to follow him quietly. Easy said for a hobbit who, who literally can travel and walk very, uh, you know, silently in a forest floor covered with leaves. Uh, telling the fucking dwarves, who are, I think, one of the loudest bunch of people ever, to to be quiet. There may be a dragon down there. Um, You know, of course, the dwarves are not nearly as quiet as their burglar. They shuffle and bump into one another in the darkness. Uh, But in their defense, it's really dark. Uh, Bilbo slips on his ring and goes ahead of the others from the text. But he did not need it. The darkness was so complete and they w- were all invisible. Mr. Baggins misses the stairs, grabs air and lands headfirst into the entrance hall. <laughs> like, but, like typical. Yeah, I uh, remember
0: Bilbo in chapter one, trying to sit down and miss uh, his stool completely landing in the fender. That like, sort of moment. Like, he's still Baggins. Like, he... As much as he's grown, he still has these moments. Ugh.
1: Struck by lightning. So Bye. that's another moment. Like the thing is, you're right. His heart has changed. I think he has right. like the heart of a lion, a hero's heart. At this moment, he's really grown, and developed. But it's not like we had like a kung fu training montage. Like he's clumsy as shit still. So mm-hmm. while we still have moments like these, I don't think we're getting the struck by lightning moments though anymore which maybe would have happened earlier when faced with a dragon. Uh, The hobbit lays face down, still and silent. As he slowly lifts his head, he notices no dragon, no more reddish glow filling the inner depths of the mountain, only a faint gleam of pale white light coming from far off and above him. After waiting for a while, the hobbit stands up and begins to say aloud, confound you smaug you worm stop playing hide and seek give me a light and then eat me if you can catch me Mm. damn no fucks the balls man yeah yeah i mean instead of the dwarves carrying him i think the dwarves not need to take turns is carrying his nutsack after fucking (laughs) just standing up and saying that although i think at this point he's pretty confident there's no dragon yeah uh As expected, there's no response. Uh, Bilbo goes on to say, Now I wonder what Smaug is playing at. He is not at home today, or tonight, or whatever it is. Perhaps we can make a little light and have a look around before our luck turns. Light, he cried. Can anybody make me a light? Quote, the dwarves of course, were very alarmed when Bilbo fell forward down the step uh, with a bump into the hall. And they sat, huddled just where he had left them at the end of the tunnel. Shh! Shh! They hissed. (laughs) (laughs) Shut the fuck up, dude. (laughs) Also, just so you know, this is the same group of dwarves led by the guy who you thought was the most Valinor person last week. Mm. He's part of this bunch. Yeah, but they're scared of dragons, and And, rightfully, rightfully so. And and may I also add, on one note, uh, he's asking for a light uh, in a cave. You know, underground at this point, or into the earth, Uh, Mm -hmm. dark tunnels have not been lived in for a long time. Has really just been filled with a dragon that's just been sleeping, probably burping and farting. I honestly don't think lighting anything. Would be a great idea. Like this is like going to a deserted mine. Who knows how long it's been yeah. un- unmanned? There's probably so much natural gas in there. Realistically, they'd all blow up.
0: Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Dragons are mythological creatures, so
1: they might not. Fart. Is
0: is there? Yeah, is there internal gas flammable? I don't know. Bilbo stamps his feet and demands a light. After some time, Thorin gives in, sends Oin and Gloin to fetch their tinder boxes and pine bundles bundles Ugh. at last <laughs> bilbo can see the light of a torch coming from the tunnel bilbo now able to see where the dwarves are returns to them he grabs a torch the hobbit tells the dwarves to come with him but thorne refuses from the text as thorne carefully explained
1: hey, sam yeah you're uh, you're breaking up uh i would can you start back with the hobbit tells, tells the dwarves to come with him
2: okay
0: The Hobbit tells the dwarves to come with him, but Thorin refuses. From the text. As Thorin carefully explained, Mr. Baggins was still their official burglar and investigator. If he liked to risk a light, that was his affair. They would wait in the tunnel for his report, so they sat near the door and watched.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's my executive decision that we'll stay here, you go. There's no eye in company
0: from the tunnel. (laughs) The dwarves can only see the glint of Bilbo's torch. Bilbo is the only one who can see the white gleam. Mr. Baggins climbs the great pile of riches following the light. He reaches the top of the mound there. He pauses and stares from the text. It was the Arkenstone, the heart of the mountain, so Bilbo guessed from Thorne's description, but indeed there could be no, no s- two such gems, even in so marvelous a horde, even in all the world. The great jewel shone before his feet of its own inner light, and yet, cut and fashioned by the dwarves who had dug it from the heart of the mountain long ago, it took all light that fell upon it and changed into 10,000 sparks of white radiance Shot with glints of the rainbow.
1: And here we're introduced to um, it's the Arkenstone, and I think the first source of greed in these chapters. Um, mm-hmm. It's only fitting that they're found, it's found in a dragon horde because greed is often takes the form of. Uh, gold sickness or also called dragon sickness or gold fever uh, which you know results in a mental change that uh, happens to some characters and is usually caused by large amounts of treasure uh, and results in greedy illogical and sometimes even violent behavior so um, this is a huge turning point in the third act of the story M- Mr. Baggins hand is drawn to it uh, holding it in his palm, he cannot quite close his hands around it. He looks at uh, the magnificent globe of light once more, shuts his eyes, and puts it into his deepest pocket. <laughs> now I'm a burglar indeed. Yeah, who's the grocer now, bitches? <laughs> I just took your most prized possession that you were just, the Arkenstone, the Arkenstone. On the hill, represent. That's how we fucking do it, baby. Baby. After all, the dwarves did say that Bilbo could have his pick of the one fourteenth of the treasure, but he does not feel that Thorin has intended this particular gem, so he's going to be a little uh sneakier about it. And, and, and you know, just drop that there, and just keep, you know, keep that for uh, keep that for later. Right. Bilbo descends down the mound of treasure. Uh, when a bat swoops in front of him, uh, he drops his torch. He cries again the others. Uh, he, he cries again to the others. The light's gone out. Somebody, help. The dwarves can only hear, help, and take a long time to respond, <laughs> let alone come to reach Mr. Baggins. It is our turn to help, said Balin. Thorin agrees they light torches and head towards uh, Mr. Baggins. So I mean the do- the dwarves are just very disappointing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean they, they 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 knew they were going on this quest. They knew the risks and they knew there was going to be a dragon at the end of the day. Yeah. Just how cowardice- devil's
0: advocate.
1: I mean they're so close to like
0: what was only a dream. Like you don't you don't want to lose it at this point. They have, they have everything. But, you know, they're so
1: close. So there they find the Hobbit sitting amongst the vast piles of gold and silver. Bilbo explains that it was only a bat and there is no reason to be alarmed. The dwarves slowly begin to look around and wonder. Very soon, they're stuffing their pockets with as much as they will hold. Quote, And when the heart of a dwarf even the most respectable, is wakened by gold and by jewels. He grows suddenly bold. and He may become fierce. Uh, the doors indeed no longer need any urging. To quote again, All were now eager to explore the hall while they had the chance and willing to believe that for the present, Smaug was away from home. They spoke aloud and cried out loud to one another as they lifted old treasures from the mound, or from the wall and held them alight, caressing and fingering them. Mm. Uh, Fili and Kili find golden harps strung uh, with silver and begin to play. The hall is filled with music. The dwarves begin to speak aloud, cry to to one another in jubilation of the wonderful things they find. Thorin, however, is looking chiefly for the Arkenstone. Quote, "It it was the Arkenstone. He spoke of it yet to no one. Mm.
0: Thorin calls over to Bilbo. The king under the mountain stands across from him, looking worthy of his title, with gold mail armor and a silver hafted axe. Mr. Baggins, here is the first payment of your reward. Cast off your old coat and put on this. Just think, Ryan, that moment... When, like the teacher calls you over, and you did some shit you weren't supposed to do, but instead they call you over and like, "Oh, nice job on this paper. Here's, you know, here's, <laughs> here's a coupon.
1: <laughs> here's a coupon." Same I'm, with bo- what the teacher I'm did poor. I'm a net. teacher. <laughs> here's a coupon. Here's a coupon.
0: On Bilbo. He puts a silver mailed coat made, of, made for an elf prince long ago. It is made of mithril and has a pearl belt. He also places on Bilbo's head a helm studded with white gems. feel magnificent, he thought. But I, ex- I expect I look rather absurd. How they would laugh on the hill at home.
1: Still, I wish there was a looking glass handy baggins such a baggins um also very interesting that this is the first mention of mithril which is a fictional metal found in the writings of J.R.R. tolkien um and present in middle earth has now since spread to other works of derivative fantasy it's essentially like something that resembles silver in appearance but is stronger and lighter than steel so it carries some really unnatural qualities. And, you know, he, it's its actually, well, this is the first mention of it chronologically. However, Tolkien first wrote of it in The Lord of the Rings and then retrospectively mentions it in the third revised edition of The Hobbit. So the first edition, second edition, he made the changes regarding Gollum. And here in the third edition, he adds a mention of, mithril and in the first 1937 edition uh the male shirt given to bilbo is described as being made of silvered steel quote unquote mm-hmm. um and the name mithril comes from two words in tolkien's sindarin language myth meaning gray and real meaning glitter so it really mean it literally means uh the glittering gray or i guess it's silvered steel translated and again properties are absolutely wild and we'll see later on in the story when we get into the Fellowship of the Ring uh, that Gandalf explains uh, Mithril uh, to the party when they're in the Mines of Moria and he'll say, quote Mithril, all folk desired it. It could be beaten like copper and polished like glass and the dwarves can make it, make of it a metal, light and yet harder than tempered steel. Its beauty was like to that of common silver, but the beauty of mithril did not tarnish or grow dim. Um, and again, it's gonna, it, it appears and it's significant because it appears in a number of other um, works. And I think there's some other like really deep um, nuggets about like how like Tolkien invented this. Cause, cause you have like this, a deep lore surrounding you know, metalworking and, and associations with Satan uh, that are found in works like John Milton's Paradise Lost. Um, and also it ties to the theme of greed here because greed for mithril could unleash the terror of the Balrog. Uh, so by, you know, in Moria, we'll see uh, that mithril, where, where most mithril comes from. So this mithril probably came from Moria. Um their greed for digging too deep into that dark realm, unleash the Balrog that spelled doom for Moria. So here again, we even see just in the form of the mithril um, male shirt that uh, Bilbo is gifted by Thorin, uh, their seeds, it's just mithril is something that, cr- that almost carries that greed and that both potential for good and evil because it's both the greatest of treasures and also a deadly bane. Right,
0: Thorin goes on to look for the Arkenstone, largely ignoring the many fine things he finds in the hoard. After a couple hours, Bilbo starts to feel less bewitchment from the hoard than the dwarves do as they run from treasure to treasure in ecstasy. Bilbo sa- thinks to himself, I would give a good many of these precious goblets for a drink of something cheering out of Bjorn's bowls. Thorin, he cried aloud. What next? We are armed. But what good has any armor ever been against Smog the Dreadful? This treasure is not yet won back. We are not looking for gold yet, but a way of escape. And we have tempted luck too long. You speak truth, answered Thorne, recovering his wits. Let us go. I will guide you in not authority thousand years should i forget the ways of this palace they leave the hall of smoke with many backwards glances their torches cut through the darkness as they climb stairwell after stairwell leg day am i right everybody out there right <laughs> leg day we
1: all work out right yeah also real quick another moment that of- no, the dwarves are just completely immersed in the the gold fever and the dragon lust and you know, all this gold. And what's the thing that that pulls Bilbo out of that same, you know, treasure fever? Thoughts of home, thoughts of uh, his hobbit hole, and just or just even something good to drink from Be- Beorn's Hall. It's simple baggins pleasures, not the Took side. So here we're actually seeing an interesting twist on the Baggins versus Took theme where it's the bag side of Bilbo that helps pull them and keep the uh, company moving forward on their mission. Right.
0: And poor Bilbo, these stairs are not made for hobbit legs. And just when he feels he can't go any longer, they reach a large open hall. Bilbo can see a glimmer of light high and far above him again. The light is coming through a great wooden gate now smashed and burned. This is the great chamber of Thor," said Thorin. The hall of feasting on, of council. Not far off is the front gate. They passed through the ruined chamber from the text. Skull and bones were upon the floor among many flagons and bowls and broken drinking horns and dust. As they press on, Bilbo can hear the sound of running water. This is the birth of the running river, said Thorin. From here, it hastens to the gate. Let us follow it. Okay, just one point out, Ryan. Thorin, terrific tour guide. I can just, like, imagine him on, like, one of those double-decker buses with the with the microphone in hand. Oh, and this is the th- front gate. It hastens from here. Let
1: us follow it.
0: I'd pay for that shit.
1: But also, no mention of all the skulls. He's like, this is a table. (laughs) (laughs) dead bodies scattered across it. Ignore the dead bodies.
0: (laughs) No biggie. Mr. Baggins can see boiling water coming from a masoned hole in the rock. Oh, it's time for a segment within a segment, people. Laid on us. If you like the porculus <laughs> r- run on, you're going to love this. This, Ryan, boiling water coming from springs actually happens in our own world. The Shene Tempishaka, Timpishka, sorry, Tempishka in They'll eastern those. Peru is an Amazon tributary. At a certain point on the river, it reaches boiling temperatures thanks to a geothermal anomaly. The hypothesis of geothermal scientist, Andreas Ruzzo, shouts, is that vast amounts of water which falls from the rainforest goes into deep rooted faults in the earth's crust. Here, some of the water goes near the planet's mantle, the geothermal heat bringing it to boiling temperatures. The amount of water is so massive and the fault so deep that water comes up extremely hot. The water then resurfaces through springs in lowland Peru. The concentration of such springs on the waterbed brings a portion of the river to boiling temperatures. Foggy place. Critters, such as fog, frogs, birds, reptiles, sometimes fall accidentally into the water, reaching a horrible end. This place is sometimes called La Bamba and is believed to be also uh, the home of a city of gold. The local indigenous population, the Ashaninka, have deemed this spot on the river a holy site. Local shamans believe that the boiling water is birthed by Yucamama, Mama, a serpent spirit known as the mother of waters, or as we like to say here on second breakfast, <laughs> Yucamama. <laughs> The mama of the waters. God damn it, <laughs> <laughs> How the world works, Ryan. It's a beautiful thing. Help protect the Peruvian rainforest today.
1: God damn it. Anyway, <laughs> back to the story. The water flows into a channel running parallel to a stone paved road. There, the river ran uh, to the front gate. Bilbo can see the gleam of sunlight coming through the mist, fog, fog. Through the gate, they can see it uh, see it in the mid-morning. They can also see the desolate town of Dale below them. The first winds of winter blow in cold from the east. The company decides to, that hanging out at the front entrance to Smaug's lair is probably not a great idea. Mm-hmm. The dragon, they think, uh, could be coming back Anytime now, Balin suggests Ravenhill, a five-hour march, which you know, compared to their two days huddled huddled around doing nothing, is literally just the you know, hopping and a skip away. Um, but this comes much to Mister Baggins' dismay. Again, just did leg day, five-hour march,
0: Ugh. Just,
1: cardio. I'd rather get not started. <laughs> Balin leads the company to a lookout post on Raven Hill. It is a comfortable place. Here, the company rests and can keep a watchful eye on the southern valley of the mountain. The company has a meal of cram and water. Quote, if you want to know what cram is, I can only say I don't know the recipe, but it's bisquitch. Biscuitish. It has biscuits. It's biscuits. It's biz quick. <laughs> JK, <Just kidding. laughs> I do know the recipe. <laughs> <laughs> but it's biscuitish, keeps good indefinitely, it's supposed to be sustaining, and is certainly not entertaining, being in fact very uninteresting, except as a chewing exercise. I mean, essentially, it's hardtack, right, that uh, Tolkien is pulling probably from his days in the military uh, for this inspiration. Uh, It was made by the lake men for long journeys. Uh, Dory and many of the other dwarves are still fearful that Smaug may be perched atop the mountain looking down on them. We must take our chance of that, said Thorin. We can go
0: no further today.
1: Here, here, cries Bilbo and flings himself (laughs) on the ground. The company keeps watch uh, and turn uh, over the surrounding area. But still, no trace of the dragon can be seen. And Bilbo is just like, I mean, we've all been there. It's a long fucking day. You just flop down. You're like, fucking yes.
0: Chapter 14. Fire and water. Air. Fire, water,
1: earth. And just when we needed him least, Smaug <laughs> appeared. <laughs> From
0: the text. Now, if you wish, like the dwarves, to hear news of Smaug, you must go back again to the evening when he smashed the door and flew off in a rage two nights before. The town of Esgaroth, or Lake Town, lays quiet. Its inhabitants are shuttered in from the cold winds coming off the lake. By the way, Ryan, you can growing up in Euclid, you can imagine the cold winds coming off the lake.
1: Oh yeah, baby. I live by the lake now. Lake Erie, man. Yeah, you do, you do. It's you cold. Do. It's cold. Um can I also say really good narrative technique here where I like where um B- uh Bilbo, or Tolkien pulls away from the perspective of and he's never truly in like a narrow third person like a third person limited we're, we're really only seeing through bilbo's eyes mm-hmm. like the narrator's typically omniscient but has a very tight camera focus on bilbo and the company and here when we've seen this before where he's jumped around like when they're in murkwood but here's a really great shift not only moving back in time but shifting focus to a different group of people all and the way he's going to tie this together is actually a really neat piece of writing exactly only the sentries are out that night.
0: From Esgarath, over the hilly land, they can see the peak of the mountain. There is a fire on top of the mountain, as there had been the night before. After a time, the flame vanishes. Perhaps the king under the mountain is forging gold, said a guardsman.
2: It is long since he went north. It is time the songs began to prove themselves again.
0: "'Which king?' said another with a grim voice. "'As like as is not marauding fire of the dragon, "'the only king under the mountain that we have ever known.' "'You are always foreboding gloomy things,' said the others. "'Anything from floods to poison fish. "'Think of something cheerful.' "'Then a great light like that before on the mountain "'came from lower in the hills.' The other guardsmen begin to shout in glee.
2: The king beneath the mountain, his wealth is like the sun, his silver like a fountain, his golden (laughs) rivers run. The townspeople
0: flock to the streets to see what is going on. They join in the singing. The grim faced man amongst the excitement runs to the lake master. The dragon is coming or I am a fool, he cried.
2: Cut the bridges. Two arms. Two arms.
1: Like, I I just imagine this easily being a like Monty Python skit where they're like, oh yeah, like just like small talk, like guards on the walls of a small fucking lake town that doesn't really see much action. They're like, oh that must be the king coming back, like the king under the mountain. Huzzah! Huzzah! (laughs) It's like man, you need to you need to cheer up, man. You always think of bad shit. And then right. the dragon fucking comes in. Like, I don't know, just like, it's, I thought this was actually pretty comical uh, for at least the, the first second. You know, where there's like, the guy's fucking sour. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Like, you see fire on top of a mountain. You're like,
2: oh man, it's about to be Golden Lake time, baby. woo
1: Trumpets sound an alarm and echo around the lake. The townspeople's cheers turn to dread. They fill every possible vessel that they can carry uh, water into the brim. Warriors rush to every post and every dart and arrow is ready. Then came the dragon. Smaug speeds low above the lake, his approach terrible and loud. The dragon swoops over the town. He cannot plunge his great body into into the town for the lake is cold and deep. Quote, it would drench him before he could pass through it. it oh, sorry, it would quench him before he could pass through it. Asmaug As cuts through air, he is met with volleys of darts and arrows, but they rattle off his scales and diamond waistcoat. From the text, no fireworks you ever imagined equaled the sights that night. At the twanging of the bows and the shrilling of the trumpets. The dragon's wrath blazed to its height, till he was blind and mad with it. No one had dared to give battle to him for many an age, nor would they have dared now, if it had not been for the grim-voiced man. Bard was his, was his name, who ran to and from, cheering on the archers and urging the master to order them to fight to the last arrow. Bard. Our boy, the fury of the dragon eventually overcomes the defenses of Lake Town. Fire blazes from the dragon's jaws. Near, uh, nearly the entire town lays in ruin. Men begin to dive into the lake as the flames engulf the town. Women and children in the old are huddled into boats. They make for the shore. Indeed, this was Smaug's strategy. He will deal with them in time. Only a company of archers led by Bard stands and many of them are beginning to dive into the water. Bard is a descendant of Geryon, Lord of Dale. And he's not about to let this dragon destroy a second town and home of his people, not without a fight. At least he stands amongst the flames with one last arrow left. He draws his bow for the last time. When he hears a voice in his ear,
2: "Wait, wait,"
0: it said to him. It is the thrush that was listening to Bilbo on the doorstep. The thrush is sitting on the man's shoulder. Bard is surprised that he can understand him.
2: The moon is rising. Look for the hollow of the left breast as he flies. It turns above you.
0: Smaug circles back to finish off what's left of the town. Arrow, said the bowman, black arrow, I have saved you to the last. You have never failed me and always I have recovered you. I had you from my father and he from of old. If ever you came from the forges of the true king under the mountain, go now and speed well. Bard loosens. The arrow plunges into the hollow of Smaug's armor as a worm turns up and above the town. A deafening shriek fills the air. The dragon turns over and crashes on top of the town, crushing it beneath him. Quote, and that was the end of Smaug and Esgaroth. but not of Bard. The townspeople gather on the shore They have no shelter from the cold winds off the lake. Here they begin to grumble and blame the master for their current plight. He may have a good head for business, especially his own business, some murmured, but he is no good when anything serious happens. If only Bard had not been killed, we would make him a king, they all said. Bard, the dragon shooter of the line of Geryon, is lost. From the shadows, a dark figure emerges, dripping cold, a fierce light in his eyes. Bard is not lost, he cried. He died from Esgaroth when the enemy was slain. I am Bard of the line of Geryon. I am the dragon slayer. The townspeople shout and jubilation at the sight of the bowmen. King Bod, King Bod. The lake master chatters his teeth in anger. The master carefully explains that Geryon was the Lord of Dale, not the lake, and that the lakemen have always elected their own officials, and that any wishing to go with the king to Dale may do so. But he and, quote, unquote, the wives would stay and rebuild the town. And that if anyone was to blame for this whole mess, it was the dwarves. They are the only they are the ones who stirred the dragon, after all. The townsfolk curse the dwarves and become angry. Fools, said Bard, why waste words on those unhappy creatures? Doubtless they presided first in the fire before smoke came to us. Then, as he was speaking, the thought came in his heart of the fabled treasure of the mountain, lying without guard or owner, and he fell suddenly silent. Bart agrees to work with the lake master to gather supplies and send for aid. Many nights pass, and much of the townsfolk become ill for lack of shelter and food. They wait in anguish on the shore of the lake. The idea of the mountain's wealth, however, is on everyone's
1: mind or tongue thinking about that greed ryan greed's always there mm-hmm. um, as long as there's dragon treasure the master and bard send for aid from the woodland king our good friend Thrandul. Uh, runners are sent into the forest which <laughs> i just imagine runners this is like the five fittest dudes just shirtless is like Running, hiding, yeah. they're hiding They're, it they're the running forest. in place as he's giving them instructions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> before they reach the cave of the Woodland King, they encounter Thranduil and his host of marching east already. A uh, news had already reached him days ago from his spies and from the birds of the forest. News of Smaug's demise reaches as far as Bayorn's Hall in the Misty Mountains foreshadowing for later Mm. the elves change course they initially set out for the amount for the mountain they agree to help the lakeman out of both greed and also just friendship you know they've had an alliance going back for you know ages at this point the king sends supplies down the river while he and his host march the treacherous lands between the lake and the forest As the elves march, crows begin to squawk in the sky, becoming more and more numerous the closer they draw to the long lake. The elves move swiftly through the forest and reach the shore of the lake within five days. They join forces with Bard and those willing to follow him. The women, the young, and the old are left in the care of the lake master, who is busy planning for a new town on the lake. This new town will be far grander and will be built on a different spot in the lake, far away from the decaying dragon. Again, also, ideas of a grander town, bigger, better. Again, we see these these undertones of greed. Mm -hmm. The elves and men march north towards the mountain. In 11 days, they reach the desolate land on the southern spur of the mountain. Chapter 15,
0: the gathering of the clouds back on Raven Hill. In turn, the company keeps a close watch on the surrounding lands. The lake is beyond their view. The next morning, a general uneasiness fills the company. Several types of birds fill the sky and are loud as shit. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you ever been woken up by birds, Ryan, like I'm talking actual birds. Um, It's, oh, they're awful. (laughs) Shit birds. It's not that bad. It's actually, I think it's like kind of nice. I'm not talking about like a nice song. I'm talking about just like birds, like being loud and squawking at each other. (laughs) Something is happening, said Thorin. The time has gone from the autumn waterings, and these are birds that dwell always in these lands. They are starling and flocks of finches, and far off are many carrion birds, as if battle were afoot. Suddenly, Bilbo points out, there's that old thrush again. He seemed to have escaped when Smaug smashed the mountainside, but I don't suppose the snails are... I don't suppose the snails have. Bilbo, priorities in mind. He's thinking escargot. He's... He's he's always thinking about the food. The thrush flutters its wings and begins to sing.
2: I believe he is trying to tell us something, said Balin. But I cannot follow the speech of such birds. It is very quick and difficult. Can you make it out, Baggins? Not
0: very well, said Bilbo. As a matter of fact, he could make nothing of it at all. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but,
2: but the old fellow is very excited. I only wish he was a raven,
0: said Balin. I thought you did not like them. You seemed very shy of them when you came this way before. Those were crows! Idiot. <laughs> Okay, Bilbo, not not the best when it comes to birds. Remember, uh, Ryan, uh, when they're being rescued by the eagles, he confused storks and forks. Now he's confusing crows
1: and ravens. Also, this you, can't, you can't, you know, you can't confuse. It's a big snap. It's a big uh, faux pas when you're confusing an old and storied raven like Roak mm-hmm. uh, with an old crow. I'm just saying.
0: Gotta be wary of the old crow. Always. Balin explains that once there was a great trust between the dwarves and the ravens that dwelt in the mountain. Balin recounts when he was young and would climb this hill to see a couple who were the lords of the ravens, old Kark and his wife. These ravens would relay many secret messages for the dwarves. When Balin finishes speaking, the thrush flies away. Before long, the thrush returns with an old, decrepit raven who can barely fly, is nearly blind, and has a bald spot on top of its head. The raven begins to speak. Even Bilbo can understand him. This bird is the son of Kark, Roak. He speaks of the fall of Smaug. The company can hardly believe their luck. It is some time before Thorin... Can quiet the dwarves and let the raven continue with his
2: news. So much for joy, Thor and Oaken Shield. You may go back to your halls in safety. All the treasure is yours for the moment. But many are gathering hither besides the birds. Birds. The news of the death of the Guardian has already gone far and wide and the legend of the wealth of Thror has not lost in the telling during many years. Many are eager for a share of the spoil. Already a host of elves is on the way and carrion birds are with them hoping for battle and slaughter. By the lake, men murmur that their sorrows are due to the dwarves for they are homeless and many have died, and Smaug has destroyed their town. They too think to find amends from your treasure, whether you are alive or dead. Your own wisdom must decide your course but 13 is a small remnant of the great folk of Durin that once dwelt here, and now are scattered far. If you will listen to my counsel, you will not trust the master of the lake, but rather him that shot the dragon with his bow. Bard is he of the race of Dale, of the Lion of Geryon he is a grim man but true we would see peace once more amongst dwarves and men and elves after the long desolation but it may cost you dear and gold
1: i have spoken like pretty long monologue Roak. roak has been
0: holding that in for a while <laughs> <laughs>
1: With this news, the it's company. It's time
0: to decompress, Rohak.
1: <laughs> With this news, the company hurries back to the front gate. Uh, though they are days ahead of the arrival of the men and elves, they waste no time in barric- uh, barricading the opening of the broken front gate. It was, it was the only entrance in and out of the mountain, um, the only one smile were left intact. There is no shortage of tools at their disposal. They stack square heavy stones to fill the opening. They divert part of the running water to fill up uh, fill up in a pool outside the gate. Only a narrow ledge runs between the gate and the built up water. As they work, ravens bring them tidings. From the ravens, the dwarves learn that some of their ponies are still alive. And are just grazing near the running river. Just J-chilling. Thorin sends Feely and Keely to retrieve their ponies. The two dwarfs come back with the ponies and all the provisions they had been carrying. Enough to last a siege, conveniently, if it ever came to that. After unpacking their uh, beasts of burden. Okay, I thought you were going to break the song there. Uh,
2: Never be! Roxy!
1: They send them back south to their owners. Yeah. (laughs) Just slapped them on the ass. That's what what they're presuming they're doing. But really just slapped them on the ass and said, look at them go. Go back to your owner. Uh, Four more days pass. Bilbo is positively tired of cram. (laughs) At this point, he's like, fuck. Which is all they had to eat. One night, Thorin and the boys can see vast companies of men and elves marching towards them uh, by torchlight. The dwarves and Bilbo sleep very little that night. The next morning, some of the men and elves go to the gate to investigate. The entrance is completely fortified. The only openings are small holes, big enough for speaking or shooting those outside. (laughs) Thorin calls to them. Who are you
0: that comes as if in war to the gates of Thorin, son of Thrain, king under the mountain? And
1: what do you desire? They give no response and walk away. That day, from the barricade, the dwarves can see the camp move closer to them. At night, Mr. Baggins can hear the men and elves singing. Elven harps give off a sweet flowery smell. Bilbo <laughs> smells like elves. Bil- Bilbo longs to make an escape. This was not part of the contract he had signed back, uh, back in the spring. Uh, the dwarves double down. And you might ask, how do you double down in this mythological universe that Tolkien created? One way and one way only. You Sing a kick-ass song about how dope Thorne is. Yes. Now call we over mountains cold. Come back unto the caverns old. Here at the gates the king awaits. His hands are rich with gems and gold. The king is come unto his heart. (laughs) I did not prepare to have this melody. Give me a second. I loved it. Okay, now call we over mountain cold, come back unto the caverns old, here at the gates the king awaits, his hands are rich with gems and gold, the king is come unto his hall, under the mountain dark and tall, the worm of dread is slain and dead, and ever so our foes shall fall.
0: And the Grammy goes too.
1: Rowak, <laughs> son of car- son of Cark. <laughs> Bard shows up the next morning. Hey, that last part about the worm of dread being dead, yeah, yeah, that that was me. Pay up. Not to <laughs> mention, a lot of that shit in the mountains belongs to me and the people of Dale. Bard. Makes a good point, but also is accompanied by a host of men and elves. And beside him is none other than the Woodland King.
0: Thorin sees Bard's point and agrees to give him his share of the treasure in due time. But he's not giving anything
2: away under threat of force, especially with the Woodland King there. hate that guy.
0: Thorin is still miffed about the imprisonment. He grows more and more angry. I will not parley, as I have said, with armed men at my gate, nor at all with the people of the Elven King, whom I remember with small kindness. In this debate, they have no place. Be gone now, ere our arrows fly. And if you would speak with me again, first dismiss the Elven host to the woods where it belongs, and then return laying down your arms before you approach the threshold. Thorin, get the hell out of here. I'm busting a cap in someone's ass. I ain't even playing. The Elven King is my friend. And he has secured the people of the lake in their need. Though they had no claim but friendship on him, answered Bard. We will give you time to repent your words. Gather your wisdom ere you return. Then he he departed and went back to camp. The next day, the banner bearers returned. And trumpeters stood forth and blew a blast.
2: In the name of Esgaroth and the forest, one cried, we speak unto Thorin Thrain's son Oakenshield, calling himself the king under the mountain, and we bid him consider well the claims that have been urged or be declared our foe. At the least, he shall deliver one twelfth portion of the treasure unto Bard, as the dragon slayer, and as the heir of Geryon. From that portion, Bard will himself contribute to the aid of Esgaroth. But if Thorin would have the friendship in honor of the lands about, as his sires had of old, then he will give also somewhat of his own for the comfort of the men of the lake.
1: From the text, Then Thorin seized a bow, of horn and shot an arrow at the speaker. <laughs> it's, it smote into his shield and sat there quivering. <laughs> it's like, There's your answer. There's bitch. your answer.
2: Since such is your answer, he called in return, I declare the mountain besieged. You shall not depart from it until you call on your side for a truce and a parley. We will bear no weapons against you. But we leave you to your gold;
1: you may eat that if you will. Burn. Also, the the chivalry and just the gentleman, like the gentlemanly nature of war back in the day. Like we declare mm-hmm. your castle besieged. Yeah, <laughs> love it. All right, um, to take us to the end of the chapter from the text. With that, the messengers departed swiftly, and the dwarves were left to consider their case. So grim Thorn had become, that even if they had wished, the others would not have dared to find fault with him. But indeed, most of them seemed to share his mind, except perhaps old fat Bomber and Felian Keeley. Bilbo, of course, disapproved of the whole turn of affairs. He had by now had more than enough of the mountain and being besieged inside it was not at all to his taste. The whole place still stinks of dragon, he grumbled to himself and it makes me sick and cram is beginning to simply stick in my throat. Like, yeah, dude, I like when all, your only food is hardtack and there's just a dragon's been living in there for how many years now? just shitting and, mm-hmm. and sleeping and farting. Barding again, dragon gas. Um, not not the ideal uh, situation to to kind of wait out a siege. Right. Sam. Hmm. We're relaxing by the fire in a tavern with the sign of a white horse. It's time for What's on Tap at the Prancing Pony, where we, your hosts, discuss what we're drinking this episode. So let's get to it uh, by starting off with acknowledging last week's winner of The Last Ship to Valinor with back-to-back spotlights and victories, Bilbo Baggins, your boy, Mm. brought it home. Yeah,
0: good job, Ryan.
1: Thanks, Sam. That's
0: as much as you're kidding.
1: You know what? It's all right. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, so Sam, what just take us, you know, to create the illusion that we're still recording this one session. What are you drinking, buddy?
0: Uh, Ryan, 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 switching it up, switching it up. Um, today. I am drinking from Oliver Winery and Vineyards in beautiful Bloomington, Indiana. Gotta love the Hoosier State. It is a dry red blend and it is delicious. Just like enough spice to give it like a little end kick, but smooth throughout. And it's for bush lights, I would give it a four for
1: smoothness. And for taste, 4.5. All right. Uh, and Indiana, uh, so is this your first time drinking from this this brewery? or uh, Winery. This... Winery, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, winery. Sorry. Sorry. My bad. Uh, drinking from this winery. Is this the first bottle that you've had from their vineyards? Or... Yes, it is. Cool, man. So you're going to be checking them out again? Yeah, Oliver
0: Winery and Vineyards it's uh got two cardinals on the label
1: here. Pretty cute. Pretty Just cute. My <laughs> Just my opinion. Uh I am drinking um it's a beer called from called, called Hope Flows. It's a Kolsch from Collision Bend Brewery right here in the flats about you know, 5 blocks from where I live. So really close by um they They do pretty good beers. There's not a lot of variety, I would say, is the one thing where I think a lot of their beers, for me, you know, hit a lot of the same notes. Different flavor profiles, but similar, like, just drinking beers. But this one's a really good. It's a light-bodied ale. Fruity, crisp, clean, dry finish. It's not too heavy. I would give it a four out of five Bush Lights for taste. And... A five out of five for smoothness oh, wow. um definitely although they did, uh great lakes just released just mm-hmm. dropped the citrus low calorie beer it looks really good and I, I frankly a lot of these breweries now uh, are dropping like low-cal ipas or low-cal beers and i'm like i'm all for it because it's good smooth drinkable still has decent alcohol percentage you know four and a half percent or whatever, but Mm-hmm. uh, lower calorie than, than a BL, then, uh, I'm all for it. Get a little yes. nooner in. So, uh, but yeah, Sam, uh, to pair that, that, that wine, I mean, let's talk, let's talk afternoon tea. So last week we discussed several different options that we could possibly, uh, cover in between the Hobbit and, and Lord of the Rings. Uh, we'll probably be recording that in a couple of weeks because it seems like it's going to be a visual medium. Uh, the books did not get the votes. Um, the votes that that that, that at, at, for this time we will eventually, I think, mean, cover those books uh, yeah, down read, the road. We read books. We read we read books we're sometimes. We're, we're 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 what you would refer to as kind of literate. Um, so Sam. Mm-hmm. Of the two polls, walk us through kind of where we stand now. Okay.
0: Getting 100% of the votes. Okay, here's the deal. Um, Jumanji just absolutely trashed everything else. Got 100% of the votes for my three. And Let's go to yours. And then Jim Henson's
1: labyrinth for you. So we're either covering Jamunji or the Labyrinth. Uh-huh. Maybe we'll cover both. Who knows? Maybe we'll just like record two afternoon tea episodes and then I think the, yeah, that's
0: what we should do.
1: Yeah, and then just keep one in the back pocket for when we have like a week where I'm, I, my schedule inevitably d- delays us for a week, just throw mm. out uh, an afternoon tea. Keep the content. <laughs> yeah, like, give the people what they want.
0: Give the people
1: So in a couple of weeks, I will be down in Cincinnati and we'll be doing our first actual live session, like recording in the same room. It's going to be kind of weird, man. Who knows? Um, Yeah. So we'll be be talking about uh, the Labyrinth. We know we got to keep the Goblins coming. Mm -hmm. uh, And I think the greatest Goblin of all time, David Bowie. Uh, Then, you know, we got Jumanji and we're talking about the classic Jumanji. So Robin Williams... Is that available for viewing on any streaming service, or we're we gonna have to like pick it up on Amazon or something?
0: We'll figure it out. Figure it I'm pretty out. I'm Sure, in my parents' basement, there's a VCR copy with our name on it.
1: Do we have a VCR? No. I I think my parents have a VCR because I play it. Oh, oh, so I'll get that. You pick up. You pick up the uh, the copy of Jumanji, and I actually think that my parents have labyrinth on on. Oh. On VCR as well. It's just all coming together. Can you imagine? Like we we're watching it in its original quality. <laughs> it's, yes. Do we have a Do we have a small TV that we can put also play it on? Uh, okay. Maybe we'll just like buy a rent these. <laughs> it's getting complicated. <laughs> uh, Sam. Yeah. Now that we've covered the major events. In chapters 13 through 15 of The Hobbit, let's grab some candles, another brew or glass of wine, and dive deep deep into the vaults of Minas Tirith, a segment of the show where we, your hosts, provide a condensed lesson on a selected topic from this week's episode. With that said, let's venture into the vaults, dust off the scroll of a sealed door, and learn. About
0: Erebor. Erebor is a freestanding mountain in the northeast of Eriador. Kind of rhymes, I like it. Likely of volcanic origin, it is tall enough to have snow on its peak and has six spurs that come down on its sides. We will not stress its location too much. If you've been listening, it should be very clear
1: to you. Right. Right. At the beginning of the Third Age, this mountain was under the dominion of Durin's folk, sound familiar, or the Longbeards, the race of dwarves to which the 13 in the Hobbit belong. However, for much of its history, it was of little note to Durin's folk. Uh, Erebor was little more than a trade hub between the middlemen who dwelled in those parts and the Iron Hills, where many dwarves dwelt in mind their attention was focused on the mithril mind in khazadum later called moria remember we mentioned that a uh, little little in uh bill guys mithril shirt uh and also remember the old dwarven saying no mithril no party right <laughs> following the awakening of durin's bane uh the name of a uh, balrog in 1981 TA, the dwarves would flee Khazad-dûm. Uh, they would wander for a time. Quote, not all those who wander are lost. Or so, may- oh, <laughs> or so many Jeep Wrangler spare tire covers have told me. <laughs> 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 Before discovering the riches of Erebor, most notably the Arkenstone the heart of the mountain. It would become an heirloom for the descendants of Durin. In
0: 1999. Good year. Of the Third Age. Right after the Clinton impeachment. the I would establish the kingdom under the mountain. His people prospered there for centuries. Trade flourished once more between dwarves, men, and elves. That was until 20... 20- 2210, Third Age, when the dwarves abandoned the Lonely Mountain and marched north to join their kin in the Grey Mountains. Family first, baby. However, newts with wings, sometimes called dragons, became too much of a pain in the ass. In 2590, Third Age, Thorin's grandpappy, Thror, would lead refugees to the Lonely Mountain. Another nearly 200 years of prosperity would come to Erebor and its neighbors. Then... Our boy, the bad, bad fire drake Smaug, baddest fire drake in the whole damn town, came to Erebor in 2770 of the Third Age for an all-you-can-eat dwarven man-flesh buffet. Very few dwarves survived, including Thorn, Oakenshield, and Balin. The dragon ruled the mountain for the next 170 years Smaug
1: the Golden was indeed the king under the mountain. More like, Smaug, can you even see your toes or under those man titties, boy? Because you have that fucking weak spot in your armor because you ate so many dwarves. Remember, mm. Gandalf said, couldn't even fit through most of the doors anymore. Right. Like, grew fat, dwarf flesh. It's just delicious. It's good. This episode of Second Breakfast Podcast is brought to you by, like, spicy dwarf nuggets like all right dollar <laughs> 50 a <at> burger king <laughs> <laughs> the events of the hobbit would remove smaug in 2941 ta uh which again we won't dive into too deep following thorn's death his nephew dane ii iron foot would inherit the kingdom of erebor thorn's companions would be made great lords of the mountain Trade flourished again until 3018 of the Third Age, when a messenger, perhaps a Nazgul, would come to Erebor asking about a small golden ring, which he claimed was merely a trinket. For delivery or news of this small golden ring, the rider promised some of the seven dwarven rings of power. The dwarves refused. For this, Sauron unleashed much of his northerly presence to attack Erebor and Dale, culminating in the Battle of Dale in 3019 TA. Uh, Dane II, at the, age, at the age of 250, which you know is quite old for a dwarf, would lead the defenses. He, as well as King Brand of Dale, grandson of our boy Bard, would be slain before the gates of the mountain. However, the dwarves and men would withstand the onslaught of Sauron's forces. This siege would continue until news of Sauron's destruction reached the north and the enemies of the free people scattered.
0: Erebor would of course become home of one of the heroes of the fellowship, Gimli, son of Gloin. Gimli was born in the blue mountains far in the west of Middle-earth. He was over 60 when Thorin's company left for Erebor, but he was deemed too young, according to the unfinished tales. He would, of course, end up moving to Erebor with his father. The two were selected as emissaries by Dane II to seek the advice of Rivendell in the autumn of 3018 of the Third Age, right after the messengers came asking about the ring. Because they were in town, uh, Gimli and Glóin. They were summoned by Elrond to his council on October twenty fifth, thirty eighteen, Third Age. Gimli was, of course, selected by the Elven Lord when he volunteered to go, but more on that, Ryan, later in this podcast series. Well, Ryan, here we are at last on the shores of the sea, coming to the end of this week's episode. But before we go, let us debate who in our story deserves the last spot on the ship to Valinor, a segment where we make a concise argument for our choice of most influential and important characters from today's portion of the story, and who shall pass to the Undying Lands. And you, the listener, get to decide who goes. Please vote for either of our choices on Twitter or Instagram, and the loser, that is the person who gets the least amount of votes has to pay for drinks next week at the prancing pony. Ryan Guess what? I get to go first this week. <laughs> Bring it on, Sam. And uh, I'm bringing it on. Ryan My choice for most valinor person goes to B- 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 Bard the Bowman. Of the line of Girion In one chapter, Ryan, we have the story of zero. to hero unfold before our very eyes. First off, only person in Lake Town to see what's what. Oh, the mountain's turning bright yellowish orange green. That must mean the lake's going to turn gold. Like, no, you idiots. Like, there's a dragon that lives there. And if there's fire, probably a bad idea. Bard critically warns the town giving them time to set up their defenses. Then, in combat, cool as a cucumber. His company of archers is the last to stand their ground, down to the last man, which is, of course, our boy Bard. Also, Ryan, the way he talks to his arrow, nearly verbatim how I talk to my 22-year-old Buick before I start it every day, hoping it won't fail me. (laughs) Buick. Buick. Silver Buick, I have saved you to the last. You have never failed me and always I have recovered you. I had you from my father and he from of old. If ever you were manufactured in Mexico and assembled in Canada, go now and speed well. And Ryan, no biggie, kills a dragon. Standing, oh, slow clap. And Ryan, when you slay a dragon, you earn the title, Dragon Slayer. Just imagine the extra oomph that gives your resume when you're going in for an interview. Like, oh yeah, I so see you uh, studied economics, very nice. You volunteered on the weekends, okay, great. You got great recommendations here. And uh, oh, what's this? Dragon Slayer, you're fucking hired. So Ryan. It is without any hesitancy or doubt that I nominate Bard the Bowman of the line of Gyrion for most Valinor person. Boop,
1: boop. Sam? Mm. Great choice. Good choice. Um, I'm tempted to go for the three-peat Bilbo. However, there was a lot of heartburn in response to my choice last week we're going mm-hmm. with bilbo so i will instead with the sleeper option i know my chances i'm shooting from like this is a half court shot tossing it up as the buzzer goes <laughs> that's your goes bread out. And
0: butter usually i've seen you play basketball yeah
1: as the buzzer goes as the buzzer goes off for my choice for the last of valinor not many people here would say this is wise but I'm going for it anyways I've yet to listen to the sound advice of my uh council the master of Lake Town mm. or just simply the master I mean the original OG leader of Lake Town at least you know in this story um you know he critical ally to the elves if it wasn't for this long-standing relationship, who knows whether or not the elves would have been actually willing to, to pair and to partner with the forces of men and lay siege to the Lonely Mountains. Because the men, after the wreckage that took place in, at Laketown, completely burnt to the ground, a dragon carcass destroying half of the infrastructure, would not be able to do anything without that, that key alliance. Second, Second is Who's there? Like, you know, you guys are going after this gold and are going to be laying seas so standing around the outside the mountains and making sure no one leaves, cutting up supply lines. Who's taking care of the women, the, chil- the children, the sick and elderly, rebuilding our town bigger and better than before? Who's leading that charge? It's not glamorous work. It's not slaying a dragon. But guess what? It's important and it puts roofs over the heads of our people. Bard, master of Lake Town. That's your boy. He, uh, you know, sitting back while Bard goes and does the front man job, is doing some of the real work back at home. His actual name is unknown, so he is mysterious. Some people think mystery is sexy. Just don't look him up on Google. Uh, Some people. And, you know, after and you know he's also relatable, and this is my last point: relatable because <laughs> and flawed. We, you know, we're, none of us are perfect, and we will see that he does succumb to a little bit of greed and wants to to, to take kind of take uh, some of the gold from for his own. And he will do that eventually, uh, only to die of starvation. So, um, you know. I think a relatable hero and choice is maybe someone who deserves the spot. You know, I look at Bard and I think, all right, you know, he's probably ripped. He's got the cum gutters going on. You know, I, I can't compare, you know, I don't like that, that, that unrealistic sexual and beauty and success standards for men. It's unhealthy. I, my pick for MVP, master of Lake town, bring it home. And as you mentioned, which I'm not sure if you actually mentioned in the recorded segment of this episode, but in the film adaptation, he is played by Stephen Fry who you gotta give mad respect to Stephen Fry. The lake master, the vulnerable choice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was digging deep there with mysterious, sexy.
0: Mysterious. Is it his connection with the elves that makes him so sexy?
1: Who is he? Who is that man?
0: Um, my People goodness. Magazine.
1: Who is the Lake Master? <laughs> <laughs> and I think with that, it brings us to the end of this week's episode. Sam, we only have uh, two more episodes left. And then we're reaching the end of The Hobbit. So uh, thank you again for listening this week. And we will see you next week for where, we p- where we'll pick up with Chapter 16.
0: Thanks, everybody. It's been great. Hope to see you soon. Signing off. This is Sam. This is Ryan.
2: Peace.
1: Take care. From the text, their plans were soon made with the women and the children, the old and the unfit, the master remained behind and with him were some men of crafts and many skilled elves. And they busied themselves felling trees and collecting the timber sent down from the forest. Then they sat about raising many huts by the shore against the oncoming winter. And also under the master's direction, they began the planning of a new town, designing their fair and large, even then, even then before not in the same place they removed northward higher up the shore for oh wait wrong chapter. yeah you're in the wrong fucking chapter. i was like i was like dude we already covered like god damn <laughs> all Take
0: right us quick, to the end quick of the- cut back to the lake master <laughs> the real hero of our story
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: but, re- but really i mean uh you can say a lot about the hobbit um the movies, but their casting I thought was really good, and Stephen Fry as the lake master I was
1: like, oof. It, yeah, I, I you know, for as much shit as that movie gets, I think that they do some things better than they and they deserve a little more credit. The more I think about it, mm-hmm. it's just as far as entertainment and taking the t- I don't know they could have done things. Slightly yeah, I
0: feel like it just it was just too long, and like if you edit it yourself like just cut out the uh warg the warg chases (laughs) there's like 50 of them (laughs) it would make for a better movie film series